Here we are. We're on. Um, thank you. It's always a great privilege to come here and speak at Cornerstone. I feel like I'm in Parliament at the moment. We've got the government on one side, the opposition on the other side, and the crossbenchers here in the middle. Most people are on either side, so I'll be doing a bit of swivelling, perhaps. But it is always a privilege in my role as chaplain. I do a lot of speaking uh, at school, but uh, it's, it's generally the five-minute job. So to prepare for Cornerstone uh, for a sermon, I take that very seriously, and it's a great privilege to be here. And what I, what I want to do today is to provide a bit of a segue, in a sense, from the theme that we've been looking at for the last couple of months and what wonderful speakers we've had um, about being sent. It's been, been fantastic. Um, I'm disappointed the ones I missed when I was off on school duties, but it's, uh, it's been great. So the whole idea of being us being sent by God and then to segue that into the season that we're in now, the season of Advent, and the segue is perfect. As you'll see, I'm so excited. I'm so elegant. But getting anything coherent out of a teacher at this time of year... Andrew, Rachel, Joy is uh, will be close to a miracle, won't it? So we'll see how we go. But the idea of being sent... Oh, sorry, the other thing too is when I was praying about this, I really... Um, my usual style is to be sort of reasonably rambly and cover quite a few things because I don't know how to speak for 30 minutes anymore after speaking for five minutes so often. Um, but it, it is also uh, to cover a lot of ground, to use it as an excuse to share what God's been doing at my school. Um, but I was praying that God would... There would be something in it for everyone and there might be just a little throwaway thing. I was just very careful not to throw too much away, actually, uh, because who knows what that little line might be for. So I've been praying that, that God will show you something, um, speak to you in some way from, from what we talk about today. The idea of being sent um, has a tone of authority about it. I was trying to remember, my sister might be able to help me here, whether we were ever sent to our room as children. I don't think mum did that. We just got smacked, didn't we? I do remember getting smacked a lot. You know those, you go to the exhibition, those beautiful little Cupid dolls on a stick? That had a totally different meaning for us. Because <laughs> the stick would usually get broken somewhere in the year and next year there'd be another Cupid doll on a stick and the stick would be used for certain purposes. Anyway, didn't do us any harm. But the, the, So being sent to your room as a child, being sent to the principal's office, anyone ever been sent to the principal's office? And Come on, put your hand up, own up to it. Oh, look at that, all those hands. Um, and that's got that sort of air of authority and terror about it as well too. And I do remember as a, a, a young graduating teacher... Um, working for the state government, being sent to a school. And it was quite an interesting experience. I'd done my three years of a science degree out at Queensland Uni and we'd done our one year of dip ed. And in those days, you know, a four-year trained teacher was pretty well guaranteed of a job, so long as you were happy to go anywhere. So they all came out one day and gave us these kind of token interviews, um, interviews we all sort of lined up and uh, they, they put us through. And you had a piece of paper to fill out. It was fascinating. I can, I can picture it almost in my mind. I'm not very good at remembering things from the past, but it had a map of Queensland divided into regions, and the regions were all numbered. And, uh, you know, you had to put down your three preferences, region one, region two, region three, and then there was a box, a box at the end that said, I am prepared to go anywhere in the state. And the big question was whether or not you were going to tick that box. Where are you going to tick that box? Because anywhere in the state can involve Bamiga or Birdsville. I think Mornington Island is probably even further than Bamiga. But uh, you know, anywhere in the state could be a little bit scary. And there are people that had various commitments, uh, relationships or whatever. They didn't want to leave Brisbane at that stage. But it was the big question we all faced. Will I tick that box? And in a sense, that's what we do with God when he sends us, isn't it? Will we tick that box? that says, I'll go anywhere you send me, Lord. Because anywhere God sends us might be somewhere pretty close to home, but it might still be as scary as Bamiga or Birdsville to a young uh, 21-year-old teacher. 
The Bible, of course, is full of lots of examples of people being sent. And I want to sort of highlight a few. Abraham, I mean, it's, it's just full of it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, when you start to explore this theme. Abraham was sent. Uh, he didn't know where he was going because he was to leave his land, the land of Ur, and go to a land of promise. And we'll talk a bit more about those promises later. But he just had to pack up his extensive family and herds and so on and go. That's a very scary way to be sent. And then there was Moses. Okay, Moses was sent too. He was sent to Egypt to rescue the people out of slavery. He was sent there to take them to the promised land. And Jonah, he's a great example, isn't he? He was sent to Nineveh and went the other direction. So that's what happens when you don't um, when you when you don't obey God. Things were pretty tough until he did what he was told. He was sent to the people of Nineveh to warn them to turn to God, to turn back to God. Another one of my favourites uh, is Daniel, because he was sent in a way too. He didn't realise it. He didn't have an option about it. Didn't have a choice. He was taken into exile. He was captured and taken into exile in Babylon. He and the other young men of the court. But they were sent too, you know. And sometimes when we go places that we haven't chosen to go, we're actually being sent. So, I mean, I had a choice about whether I was going to tick that box. I could choose which regions um, I wanted to to, um, uh, to tick. I ended up at Ipswich State High School, so I didn't go very far at all. But, um, you know, Daniel, Daniel and people like Joseph, Daniel, they had no choice, but they were still sent because God had a purpose in what was going on. And that's one of the things I want to leave with you today is that wherever we go, wherever we're sent, God had a purpose. You know, Rachel's just been up at Mornington Island for a couple of stints this year, and she went up there to teach to do a few things but she was also sent as a representative of God to that place and uh, by her words and by her deeds I'm sure she represented him up there the early disciples they were sent too Um, they were scattered by persecution through persecution they were sent out from Jerusalem and this is an interesting model too Uh, it's interesting one of the topics that comes up regularly when you're working with teenagers by the way I'm celebrating 40 years of youth work this year most people graduate after about 10 but I just sort of just change the way I do it. Um, but, you know, da- uh, the early disciples were scattered by persecution. One of the topics that comes up a lot when you're working with young people is, how do I know what God wants me to do? So you spend a lot of time talking about guidance, and you've got all those classic um, uh, things that you encourage them to do, be f- reading God's word constantly, and then you'll know in a very general sense the sort of things God wants you to do. Be talking to wise people. Uh, be looking at the circumstances, be, be in prayer constantly about it, all of those kind of things. A friend uh, a few years ago, one of my mentors, introduced me to another aspect of guidance that I hadn't heard of before, and it's the Hornet's Method of Guidance. And uh, this, you can read about this in the beginning of the book of Joshua, I think it is, uh, where Joshua is about to lead the people into the Promised Land, and it says that the Canaanites were driven out by a swarm of hornets. And sometimes God's guidance, this lady was explaining to me, comes in the form of hornets. You know, you're comfortable and you're just sort of going along and doing whatever you're doing and there's this little buzzing, there's a hornet around. Mm, That's interesting. You feel slightly uncomfortable. And then maybe there's several buzzings, you know, and, and then suddenly there's a swarm and you've got to go quickly. Sometimes we are of a nature that we're not so keen to move, we're not so keen to change, and God has to actually guide us through sending a swarm of hornets. So just uh, ask yourself that question. Are some of the things you're experiencing in your life perhaps a hornet or two? And that happened to the early disciples. They'd been commanded to go out into all the world, but they were sort of sticking pretty close to Jerusalem, understandable. Uh, They were a pretty small group in those days. But eventually it was the persecution they experienced that sent them out into the wider world. 
And of course, Paul and his uh, companions were sent into Asia Minor as missionaries. And uh, that was, again, there were often hornets that moved Paul on from one town to another in the form of riots and and, uh, opposition and so on. So God sends us in all sorts of different ways, as you can see. Some of those are more peaceful sending. Some of them uh, were not particularly by choice. But the point is, we have all been sent. And there's that classic verse in Matthew 28 uh, that talks about what it means to be sent. Uh, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Go into all the, on all the world, earth. Oh, sorry, I'm going to all the world, all nations. That's where we have been sent to all people everywhere to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about what that looks like because it's a classic kind of a verse. And when we think of evangelism, in particular, and perhaps discipleship too. Probably we get an image in our mind of someone like the late, great Billy Graham, you know, up there preaching and and doing a fantastic job. But evangelism and discipleship looks like something very different. Something Josh said a couple of weeks ago stuck in my mind and caused me to reflect. Is he here? He might have gone out to children's church. He's up the back. There he is, yep. When he was talking about the barbecue, the business with the barbecue in the park. Who remembers Josh talking about that a couple of weeks ago? And uh, the frustration of, you know, back and forth on his bike and getting this barbecue that had been there for the youth, you know, activity that night. But you know what? That's what evangelism often looks like. And I think of the things I've done over 40 years of youth work, the times I've been buried in my arm, up to my armpits in sand and had water bombs thrown at me, had buckets of all sorts of unidentifiable things thrown over me, had my nighty frozen in a you know ice cream bucket full of water by someone who grew up to become a speaker of the House of Parliament. All sorts of things, you know. So it, youth work doesn't, you know, evangelism doesn't always look like something neat. It involves a lot of uh, pre-stuff. And I, I was thinking this morning too of, of Chris and Erica Vaderman. Evangelism is Chris out there in the 30-something degree heat plotting in his mind the park car park optimization, and uh, and his wife in here ready to catch people at base second base um, and to make sure that people feel welcome that's the first step in evangelism that is evangelism you guys are evangelists and he's out there he's going to where are you going Bristol or something to sort of study patterns and what they do over there to fix up car parks but you know someone who takes that kind of role seriously evangelism takes all all sort of forms and so on so I want to show you oh, where are we oh yeah sorry there's, a, and there's another aspect to uh, evangelism too um, Acts 1, 8, 9 describing the same event when Jesus was about to ascend to heaven we get another aspect of it you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So we are sent to all different parts of the world. We are sent uh, to places close to home. You know, uh, Jerusalem was right where they were. Judea, the rest of the country. Samaria, the nearest neighbours. New Zealand. PNG, I don't know, uh, Indonesia, um, and then to the uh, also to the ends of the earth. So sending involves wherever we are, whether we're here or whether we're somewhere else. It's all being sent. Don't think that you have to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'd like to be a missionary at the Mediterranean. No, no. But, uh, you know, to the uttermost ends of the earth, to be, to be doing evangelism, to be doing God's work of being sent, uh, it is all parts um, of the world. I want to show you a couple of pictures here. 
those lovely girls in green, that's the colour of our school uniform. I don't very often share photos. But that is our Christian Fellowship Group, okay, this year uh, for the official photo uh, with, with uh, my associate chaplain Ian Loom, who some of you know, uh, and another teacher there. Um, and I was just thinking this sort of, th- there's about 80 girls involved in the group altogether, I think. And, but, you know, evangel- most of those girls probably aren't committed Christians yet, many of them, but it's a process, you know, and that's what evangelism and, and what um, proclaiming our message of hope is all about it's a process it's starting where they are at and uh, there's been some wonderful stories this year Um, one of them uh, is about a girl who um, uh, was at school graduated about four years ago and I I do allow girls to befriend me on Facebook when they've been out of school for a year when they're 18 Um, that's an interesting question whether one should do that but this girl contacted me through Facebook and said oh Miss OG just wondering whether you're up for a cup of coffee and a God talk and I said, oh, okay, sure. And then uh, she said, I know I've been gone for a while. Anyway, she, when she was at school, was a lovely girl, and she was fairly neutral in her thoughts about God, but her two best friends were the staunchest atheists of that particular cohort, and they were very happy to let you know why and, and so on, and very articulate about it. So I thought, this will be interesting. Anyway, we caught up for coffee at the school coffee shop, and uh, she said to me, oh, I haven't had as much to do with them since we left school, because they went and did a different sort of a course, and I'm doing music. And she said, a number of my friends, as it turns out, are Christians, and they've started taking me Long to church and uh, as she started sharing I thought you're on a journey I didn't want to say too much obviously to her but uh, she said I think we might catch up again I said yes I think we might and uh, I said uh, I'll be praying for you so uh, just a couple of weeks ago she contacted me again and we had another cup of coffee and she's become a Christian and it's just lovely you know and, but it was a process when she was at school we just faithfully responded to her questions and shared with her in class and so on and I wouldn't have known which of them was about to be on that journey and there she was and uh, she said it was just lovely to hear her talk because a very rational intelligent girl saying I just it's hard to explain what's happened it's just everything's different everything's different and totally non-Christian background but I just love those kind of stories and another girl who came to me earlier this year um, to be confirmed and uh, I don't do confirmations but I certainly assist the churches that will and uh, eventually we, we she was confirmed just a few weeks ago and then two weeks later she's uh, named a school captain for next year so really very exciting God's been at work in her life it's just lots of different things and this is another picture that's that's actually our borders um, Bible study group <laughs> they're looking a little bit crazy there you can see a lot of them are from PNG um, but uh, you know there's a girl in the middle there sort of with long sort of blondy hair the woman who comes in to take this group and she's often said to me oh, I don't know if I'm doing any good I don't know if it's going very well these girls have just grown in their faith so much and to see the progress and she thought at the beginning not having been in youth work involved in youth work much before that what she was doing wasn't really going very far. And then she showed me some of the journals the girls have been writing and she's been taking them through the Book of Romans just for something light to do. Um, and, you know, they, they've got these extensive notes and uh, a number of these girls are now going into Year 12. And one's a border captain for next year, one's our Summer Circle Christian Fellowship captain. And, and just to, one of them, who is Year 12, gave a, a message at the final Year 12 Borders Chapel. And uh, she, there's no way in the world she could have done that a couple of years ago, but she's just grown in her faith faith and this next picture too these are our year 12 girls and uh, earlier this year we had a group come to the school I might have shared with you just to hire our facilities uh, and it was that um, uh, prayer for the nation group you know they had spent the day praying and one of a couple of our people went along and um, spoke to the the guy who was running it and said oh you know can you pray for the school and he said oh God's told me there's some sort of revival going to happen at this school and I thought I'll take that you know she was very excited about it but uh, you know I just sort of look at what's happened this 
each year. And those, that's our Year 12 Summer Circle group, the, the leaders, most of them. And eight of those girls at different times in the last six weeks have gotten up to share their testimony or to share a message in front of either their cohort, which is 150, 60 people, or in a couple of cases, the whole school, you know, eight to 900 girls. And one of them in particular um, just shared the most powerful message reflecting on the response of the other Year 12s to their final chapel. And I stood there thinking, there's no way in the world at her age I could have done that. And that girl 18 months ago didn't know the Lord at all, you know, just a few little series of steps and so on. They have been a very exceptional group, but I, I look at them and it just... The, you know, the, the world's their oyster. The two girls who are in plain clothes there, they both graduated four years ago too. And both of them are from non-Christian families and one of them from a very broken home actually. And they've both been involved in leadership in the tertiary groups at their universities. And they'd come back to tell the girls about being a Christian at uni. And one of them's getting married to a lovely Christian man in just a few weeks' time and becoming a teacher herself. And this is what evangelism's about. You know, it's, it's just kind of, and discipleship, it's a process. You just keep feeding in. And some weeks I want to not meet with them at all because they're frustrating me. Um, but you know, it's 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 just you just keep going, don't you? When you're working with teenagers, when you're working with people, it's just very exciting. So so that's my um that's, that's my stories from school for this week. In terms of modern day sendings, though. Um, you know, uh, in the early days, um, the missionaries, when the big mission movement um, really got going in the late 1800s, I think it was, those early missionaries went to Africa and China and places like that. They were a long way from home. There were no jet planes to bring them home. Uh, they were separated from their families for years and from their culture. Uh, and I love reading those stories um, about those missionaries. And, you know, some of them, when they first went to Africa, because it was such uh, a different um, place to where they'd come from, usually in England, uh, they weren't familiar with the diseases that were over there. And they knew that their average lifespan was only a couple of months and that they were probably going to die. And yet they still went because they believed, they believed that the message had to go there. And so we're blessed with Moni and Depot uh, as a result of their good work. And it's just fantastic what those early missionaries did. Current missionaries, too, that go overseas... And and um, it's lovely to see some of the kids that we've worked with over the years serving God overseas now. I guess they still do go as church planters in places that don't have a church, but more often these days they go to train the Christians there and to support them and to help build up the church. Or they go as tent makers. And I remember a girl that I worked with many years ago married to a man who's American and he works for their foreign services department and they travel around the world. Every two or three years he gets transferred and he speaks fluent Arabic, Chinese, Spanish... So they go all sorts of interesting places. So now they're in Damascus, and then they're in Dublin, and then they're in Shanghai, and I keep getting invitations to visit. Um, but I think they, as they go, everywhere they go, they support the church. They get involved. That's, they're, they're being sent. And I mean, the American government might think they're, sent, think they're sending them for a particular purpose, but they know that they're, they're, the reason is, you know, they, they have this incredible opportunity to work with churches all around the world. So when God um, transfers us, and uh, many, many jobs these days involve moving around, don't see it as a negative thing. See it as something that is a gift from God, perhaps. Perhaps you're being sent to a new place. It doesn't have to be overseas. It might be somewhere else in the state. And sometimes we don't like to be sent to those kind of places. But it is often God sending us. And, and many jobs are like that. And even when you walk out that door, I remember going to a church once that had above the exit door, you are now entering the mission field. And every one of us, when we walk out that door this morning, that's true. We're now entering the mission field. And there are many amongst us, and I acknowledge Pete and Dot and the fantastic work they do, who are working so hard in our lo local community, and many others too, um, as missionaries right here in our own backyard. Literally, in their own backyard. <laughs> what are we sent to pro proclaim? We are sent to proclaim a message of hope. 
And that's so important. And that links with the Advent story too. We are sent to proclaim a message of hope. And by hope... Uh, it's a very different sort of meaning of the word than the way it's used these days. Oh, I hope such and such will happen. I hope it'll rain soon. I hope whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, that message of hope is about a sure and certain thing, not just a vague wish. And it makes all the difference in the world. And I, I don't know if you're aware, if you think about it, uh, we live in a world where there isn't a lot of hope. There isn't a lot of certainty about the future. And even in my time at Somerville, one of the things I've noticed that's changed in the 12 years there is that the girls have a lot less hope about the future. Young people are a lot more negative about what's going to happen in the world in the years to come. And you saw all those young people this week protesting you know, about climate change uh, and so on. And it just, it, there's not a lot of hope around. And the reason, I believe, is because there's no certainty about who's in control. And if you didn't know that God was in control of the world, it would be a very scary place to be, wouldn't it? If you thought it was up to the government to help us, <laughs> we'd be in trouble. I don't care which half of you is the government. Um, you know, we're, we're in trouble, aren't we? The opposition's no better, sorry. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, we're in trouble if we don't know that God has a plan and he has revealed enough of that plan to us to give us hope. And, and, and that hope is tied up with the message of Christmas, Jesus' first coming and also his second coming. So we have an incredible message, people. We have an incredible message, a message of hope. And it's very important we understand that. And even with the, uh, the old, our Old Testament friends, there was um, a hope in, in all that they, that they were bringing. So Abraham, the hope was that God would make from him and his barren wife, Sarah, a great nation. What an incredible hope that he was from this one family was going to become a whole, people of peop- a whole nation of people dedicated to God. Moses had the hope of deliverance of the people from Egypt where they had gone into slavery and into the promised land. Another incredible message of hope for an oppressed people who were away from that they thought the promises of God. Jonah, the people of Nineveh, would be saved from God's wrath. A whole great city that could be saved with that message that Jonah had brought. Daniel, um, his, his hope was the empowerment that God gave him. And again, I love the story of Daniel and Joseph, sent off, you know, disempowered completely, but God empowers them to bring incredible change in the places that they are. And one of my favourite bits in the, in the book of Daniel is when you see one of the, I can't remember which one, one of the pagan kings acknowledging your God, the God of Israel, is the true God. And I think, how incredible, because of Daniel's faithful witness in a position of complete disempowerment, um, you know, the foreign king, the, the pagan king, acknowledges that God is Lord. So if you're in a situation where you feel you don't want to be and you didn't go willingly, and I know some of you are, if you're in that kind of a situation in your life at the moment, understand that God can still use you to do extraordinary things. You know, wherever you are, it's not an accident. God has sent you there for a purpose. You know, and it's, uh, it's so important if we, if we understand that, the difference that it makes. Um, for the early disciples, it was the hope of the resurrection. When you read uh, what they were proclaiming in the book of Acts, it all focuses around the resurrection of Christ because that's our hope of eternal life, isn't it? The fact that this Jesus, who the Jews thought they were getting rid of by crucifying on a cross, actually came back to life. And in his resurrection, there is the hope for us of also a resurrection and eternal life. What an incredible message of hope. This life is not all that there is. 
And the same with the Apostle Paul in that situation as well too. So all of us have this message of of, uh, uh, reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And again, one of my favourite passages in 2 Corinthians 5 talks about our role. And one of the old versions actually describes us as ambassadors for Christ. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the message of hope that we're taking. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful message. What a hope that we can be reconciled to our creator. We get ourselves out of relationship with God by turning away from him and running our own lives. And God says, I will bring you back. I can reconcile you through the death of my son on the cross. And that is our message. We are ambassadors to that world out there. You know, an ambassador in a foreign country has to respect the culture of that country, but knows very clearly the messages are from his own country that he's bringing or she is bringing. And we are exactly the same. We are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, We have a message to take. And this really does, I think, segue into the message of the season of Advent because Christmas has always been a time of waiting and of hope. Even that first Christmas day was a time of waiting for poor Mary, very pregnant. Lucky she was in the Northern Hemisphere, not the Southern Hemisphere where it's so hot. Uh, But, you know, it it was a time of waiting. Mary and Joseph were waiting for the birth of their baby, but the whole of Israel were waiting for their promised Messiah. The whole of Israel were waiting in hope too for the promise of God that they would be rescued. And so God sent Jesus down from heaven. So Jesus too was sent, just as we are sent. Jesus was sent from heaven down to earth to become one of us, to get involved in the messiness of everyday life, to be one of us so that he could represent us and die on the cross for our sin, that he could take, uh, he could take that punishment for our sin. This has all been part of God's plan and his promises to his people from way back in the Garden of Eden when God promised back then that an offspring of Eve would rise up to crush the head of the evil one. So the whole Bible holds this message, carries this message of reconciliation uh, and of hope that we have. So all this waiting is based on the hope that God will fulfill his promises to us. Hebrews, the writer in Hebrews goes on to tell us that this Jesus is God's ultimate revelation to us. Um, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent to those. Not only does Jesus reflect the brightness of God's glory, and not only is he the exact likeness of his being, but he sustains the universe with his powerful word. And that's what gives us hope for the future. The universe is not up to what we do. The universe is sustained by Christ himself, by his powerful word. 
in what ways does Jesus bring salvation or save the world? And this is where that first Christmas, many people were disappointed in, in what was happening. It wasn't quite what they were expecting. We can see when we look around today uh, from commentary on the news you know, about the political and social landscape in which we live, people have very different ideas about what is needed to save the world. You, know, you ask anyone what the, the big issues are and you'll get different answers to this. It's a real worldview question. Some would focus on an economic agenda. We need economic reform, tax reform, whatever, uh, in order to you know, raise everybody's standard of living. Um, some on social reform, looking at uh, changes to laws on social issues. Others would say education is the answer and we need to put all our resources there. Better border control would be the biggest issue for some people. Issues relating to the environment. There's no end to the suggestions that people have about what the world needs to be saved, is there? You know, and we, we get this all the time in the media. Um, but back on that first Christmas day too, the people of Israel were waiting for a saviour, a bit like Sharon's mob there in the play earlier. They were waiting for someone who would come as a powerful king uh, and actually take over. Um, but that is not um, what God had intended. As God is inclined to do, he had a completely different plan and a, cont- a completely different focus. Because in God's mind, our greatest need is a change of heart. And it's uh, difficult for us to get our minds around that sometimes. Our greatest need is a change of heart. God was interested in a changed hearts, forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation between human beings, but primarily between us and our creator. And it always reminds me at Christmas uh, many years ago when I was uh, a young Christian and and still, uh, probably still at uni. Yes, I was still at uni. I went on my first scripture union beach mission. And uh, just before I went on beach mission, they used to start on Boxing Day and they'd go through for about 10 days and you go and share the gospel with people in caravan parks all around the place. I remember we went to the uh, midnight um, Christmas Eve service at Maruchidor Anglican Church. I used to hang out there with the youth group when I was younger and um, mum came along too because I got to it's probably the first talk I ever gave I got to share a few words as a 16 year or 17 year old and um, anyway I went off to beach mission the next day and unbeknownst to me the, the message was one of reconciliation the minister preached about how reconciliation between people wasn't possible until we were reconciled with God personally he gave a real gospel message and unbeknownst to me my mother made an appointment to see him um, during the week while I was away at beach mission so I came back all excited about beach mission and my mum said well I got something to tell you you too you know and she'd become a Christian that week made that commitment to God uh, and I was like whoa I went away and my mum becomes a Christian okay that's good I'll go away more often no um, but that's it, it's it's very much the case um, you know as the writer of Hebrews says after achieving forgiveness for the sins of all human beings Jesus sat down in heaven at the right hand side of God the supreme power he didn't come as a king to take over with a political or economic agenda or even a social agenda he came to to, to get forgiveness Uh, to purchase forgiveness through his blood, forgiveness of sins and reconciliation between us and our creator and then reconciliation can happen between people. Now we have to work for social change and economic reform and all of those things too and I really encourage you to pray for our Christians who are in parliament and positions like that because it's a very big, a very difficult task but uh, really it's that heart change is is, is really what Jesus came to do. It's a more difficult goal to achieve in many ways because it first requires us to humble ourselves and admit that we need help, um, that something is wrong and that we can't do it on our own. And, you know, a lot of the people we work with, particularly, as Graham was saying before, we're we're living in a very good, blessed time. People, a lot of people don't think they need God. And uh, it's interesting, in, in my job, I'm working with, I suppose, some of the upper echelons of even our society, people who are very, very wealthy and, and in positions you know, of power. Occasionally, I get to visit their homes, and I think, wow, okay. <laughs> um, now I understand how the other 
not half, 5% live. But, you know, they, they, they don't often know that they need God. And it's part of my job is to hang around and rattle the cage a little bit and just kind of put in things when I can that might suggest that. But really, um, and I'm sure Leanne will attest to this too, it's at those times of intense pastoral need when all the money in the world won't solve the problem you're facing in your family, that's when people know they need something. And, uh, and as a chaplain, that's sort of very much part of my role. But um, it's all that creative loitering, hanging out at different things and so on, um, waiting, waiting for those opportunities to come. And I have to say this year, though we've had the most extraordinary year with that beautiful group of girls that I just showed you, um, we've had the most extraordinary year. We've also had an incredibly challenging year pastorally. Three times this year um, I've attended and once I actually ran a funeral for a parents burying their adult child and that's not good at all. Uh, it's very sad and it's, uh, it's those times when that hope that we have is what keeps us going because our hope also is for the second coming of Christ and I want to kind of finish up with this a bit we have this hope that Jesus is coming again uh, his first coming has made the way for us to be reconciled with God but we know that things are still not yet as they are meant to be you know, we're not as we're meant to be. We disappoint ourselves all the time. We let ourselves down. We let other people down. Uh, the world is not as it's meant to be. But there is coming a time when Jesus is going to fix all that up. Because he's not coming as a baby next time. He's coming as the rightful king. He is coming as the one who every eye will see, uh, every knee will bow, and everyone will acknowledge that he is Lord. And when he comes, he will bring that renewal, that justice, that shalom, all-encompassing all peace, um, that we all long for reconciliation between people even restoration of the environment in which we live what a great hope everything in the world is longing for that and we can't hasten his coming we don't know when it will be um, I think I've shared before when I talked about the second coming that I remember very clearly back in the late 1970s and 80s when oh hallelujah Jesus is coming any day now you know um, and, and you know Henry Kissinger's the antichrist and all the rest of it but um, no was he the antichrist Yes, he was, wasn't he? Yep, that's right. Um, so, you know, there was all, we, we, don't, we don't know when it's happening. And we don't hear as much about it these days. It was sort of it was much more on our minds in those days when the communism was still very strong and there was that sense of tension in the world and nuclear weapons everywhere. Um, but, you know, we can't hasten it. We can't make it happen. We have to patiently wait for God's timing, a bit like Israel were waiting for the Messiah the first time around. Uh, but in the meantime, we seek to see his kingdom come as we live out his teachings, as we proclaim the message of hope to everyone, uh, and as we look for every opportunity to see others be reconciled, as we take that message of reconciliation uh, as the ambassadors that we're meant to be. Uh, because hope, the hope is, as I said before, the hope we have is that somebody is in control. Somebody knows where we're going. This is not just all random. This is not just all up to us. Somebody much more powerful than us is in control. And the great news is, is that someone, that particular someone is all wise, all compassionate, and all good. And I shared with you earlier that we've, we've had a wonderful year at school this year, despite, as many of you know, a pretty dodgy end of year last year. And one of the reasons, the main reason that we've had that uh, wonderful year is because a very humble educational leader was brought back in to lead us for a year, someone who we knew was wise and compassionate and good. And it just completely changed the atmosphere of the place I live. If that can happen in a school through one humble little lady, um, it can happen in the world, obviously, through us and ultimately when Jesus comes back. There, we have a hope that there's a future for each one of us and for the world. A hope based on the fact that we are loved, we are accepted, and we are known personally 
by the one who holds the universe in his hand. And to live without hope, as so many do, is hardly to live at all. These funerals this year were very difficult. Um, one of them was a the family of faith, uh, the other two weren't. And to see people grieve uh, in that kind of a way without hope is just heart-wrenching. We grieve too when we lose people. And, and many of us here have done that. Uh, we grieve when we lose people, but we do not grieve like those who are without hope. And that makes such a difference. So just to conclude, we have indeed been sent. When you work, walk through that door, imagine that sign above the door. Maybe I might pay for one to be made next year, Graham. Um, you know, you are entering the mission field. Maybe God is sending you somewhere further. Maybe you've been resisting his call on your life for a change that might take you somewhere different. Um, don't resist it. Wherever God sends you, willingly or unwillingly, it's good. Uh, wherever we go, whatever God calls us to do, we take with us this message of hope through, res- uh, through reconciliation, through Christ's death on the cross. Whatever else our lives are about, whatever else we invest our time into, and we might be collecting barbecues and, and guiding car parks and whatever, it all witnesses. It's all a part of witnessing to this hope. The hope that came down on that first Christmas day, the hope of salvation and peace through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Graham.